Hi, I'm Amy Haig, the host of the Building Blocks podcast, which talks about and offers support to individuals with disabilities, their families, schools, and the communities they live in. Guests will include parents, teachers, related service providers, and members in the community who offer inclusive services for individuals of all abilities and more. We'll discuss how this team can work together to provide optimal support. This week on the Building Blocks podcast, I am so excited to be meeting with my friend Alicia Mosley and her daughter Zamaya. Alicia has been advocating for her daughter ever since before she was born and isn't stopping anytime soon. We'll talk about how parents and schools can work together to provide services and support that students with special needs deserve. Hi, ladies. Hello. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Good, good. Um, I'm just going to start by saying welcome, Alicia. Thanks for being our first guest on the Building Blocks podcast. Thank you. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, So let's start. Let's talk about how we know each other. We met at a specialized preschool that we both worked at, and your daughter, Zamaya, went there as well. Yes, she did. That's actually how I kind of wiggled my way in there. She had gone there, and I asked them, hey, are you hiring? Can I have a job? And then I started in your classroom. Yes. I started her when CDS would allow... Um, kids to go in at that point, I think it was two years, nine months that they could start preschool. So I got her in there as soon as I could. There were bumps, obviously, um, just because she requires nursing, but I got her in there and she was there, I want to say for two and a half years. Yep. Before going into kindergarten. Yeah. Yep. Do you want to give us a little bit of Zamaya and your backstory? Sure. Zamaya was born with a rare genetic disorder known as Emanuel syndrome. Um, she is one of 500 in the world. She was born with many medical complications that sometimes come along um, with the disorder. She was in the NICU from April 2013 till uh, August, and then we were back down in the PICU from August to October Um, She also was diagnosed with epilepsy, cerebral palsy, um, global developmental delay, um, failure to thrive, so on and so forth. Um, That was a crazy road, a crazy pregnancy. I found out about all of her complications when I went to go find out uh, the gender of what I was having and the tech said, uh, how do your baby's brain is missing and walked out of the room. So that's how that little adventure started. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. So they kind of just said, Hey, this is what's happening. And then left and sounded like they yeah, give a lot of back. Yeah. Cause the techs aren't supposed to give you information, that kind of stuff. So they brought, you know, the high risk doctor in and we went over things and I ended up meeting with a genetic counselor. Um, we did a lot of prenatal uh, tests and stuff like that to just determine. Um, and then I, re- I was told that I had to have her down in Boston um, because she had a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. Portland was unable to do that repair. So um, she was born down at Mass General 
they were able to repair it there and that's where we spent and that's where we continue to still go if she has any issues. Gotcha. And so after, you know, Zamaya was born, you came home, did you find that it was easy to get information and support of what you should do next? Was that being provided uh, to you or were you feeling like you constantly I, had to figure things out? On, I think for me, I feel like because we were in Massachusetts, it was a different state and we live in Maine. So I don't think there was a lot of knowledge on their end of what needed to be done up here. Uh, so how, however, you know, I was the one who fought, found my PCP, um, but she was getting PT and OT in the hospital um, from a week after she was born until we left. And, you know, they told me we needed to continue that once we got home. So they gave me information to a uh, nursing group that had PT and speech and OT as well. So I was kind of like, all right, let's do this. But a lot of it was on my end um, and working with the speech therapist and the OT that came in home, they helped me a lot to figure out you know, who I can talk to, where I go. And my um, in-home PT actually helped find my um, my PCP now, who is a developmental doctor as well. And that's here in Maine? Yeah, yeah. So um, she has her neurologist, her cardiologist, and her PCP up in Maine. And then everybody else is down in Boston. Did you try to get her into school or with other services before that time? Uh, no, actually CDS, we didn't even have CDS on, she wasn't even on CDS's radar until it was closer to her to come to school because CDS is a hands-off kind of approach. Um, they will just come into your house and kind of guide you on how to do certain things. They come in and do an evaluation and then they tell you, um, your daughter should have, you know, OT, speech, PT, a special ed teacher, all of this. And then those people will come into your house and kind of guide you on how to do it. They don't put their hands on the child at all. So I wanted a more intensive hands-on approach when it came to her because that's what her body needed. And I am no PT or OT. So I didn't want to be the, you know, to be the one to do it. I wanted her to have a more clinical setting. Um, but when CDS did come in, maybe would have liked it earlier for a more of an educational approach um, on that end. But uh, I preferred having the like kind of in-home OTPT yep. rather than them guiding me on how to do it. Right. I've listened to podcasts and did some reading on um, other states who use that same model. So therapists come in and they will teach you how to do it, but it's your responsibility right. to follow through, um, right. which is great thinking like, okay, like I can learn how to do these things. Mm -hmm. um, but on the flip side of that, there's so many parents who are like, I just want to be a parent. And if you're constantly in the mindset of, okay, she needs tummy time and then to practice rolling over for 40 minutes a day, you know, it, it yeah. kind of takes away that parenting and just that natural... Aspect. Yeah, and and as you venture into the special needs world, you realize that your parent card is one of the last cards you get to be. Um, it's hard, but you know it was nice. 
you know, with her outpatient, you know, they were like, okay, we can do this and we can do that. And I would still do it when they weren't there, but it was nice for someone else to come in and focus on that. And I could just sit there and, you know, I have a great relationship to this day with both of her OT and speech and PT. I have them on Facebook. We keep in contact. Everyone who has come into my child's life and has made an impact, we consider family. Yep. That's great. Now, I know that that hasn't always been the case, though, no. especially, I think, <laughs> in regards to a transition into kindergarten. Yeah. Um, and I really, that's what I'm hoping to get out of this is, you know, struggles that you had. And so yeah. how can we provide support for families who are about to go mm-hmm. through that and also yep. provide support for you know, my end, I'm a special education mm-hmm. teacher in a public school. Yeah. So how can we learn to support you? Because mm-hmm. there's so little time that the family and um, school staff are together that yes. we really need to make that time worth it and, you know, yeah. meaningful. And now that I have, you know, I've dipped my toe into the other half of it. I am no longer just a parent. I also see the educational side as well. You know, I, I realized how much that, especially when it, not so much the administration, but when it comes to the teachers and the ed techs, and I see how much they put in and how much, you know, they really want to be there for their kids and, you know, they want them to succeed. I'm I'm in both worlds now, so I can kind of see both sides. However, my mama hat always, you know, wins like I see the struggles but you know when it comes to the administration I'm like listen I get it but this is where we still gotta go my main focus is still her right I mean you know her the best you know plain and simple so yeah bottom line that's what needs to happen um do you want to tell us a little bit about um the transition into kindergarten and what that looked like maybe some of the struggles Sure. Um, It's pretty daunting um, because you're going to go into a meeting with not only who you have as preschool staff, but whoever your CDS case manager is. And then anything your child needs in said public school, they're going to be there. So you're going to have the special ed director. You're going to have the principal. You're going to have your child's kindergarten teacher. Um, I had OT, PT, and speech. Um, and I actually had at the time her, uh, one-on-one nurse came with me, um, nursing was there. So it all depends on what your child's needs are going to be when going into kindergarten. Um, so we were in a library and there was probably about 25 of us sitting there in a circle, um, all with our notebooks and computers. That's Um, intimidating. It it is, um, you know, but you have to, you have to remember that you have to be the advocate. You have to tell them exactly what your expectations are. You know, don't sugarcoat it. Don't worry about what they're going to perceive it as. You got to go in there showing that you mean business and that this is what your expectations are, because I feel like if you give that, you know, you're, they're more willing, they need to hear you and they just don't need to listen to you to give you a response. And sometimes, you know, that's what you get. You get, I feel like you get told what they think you want to hear. But, you know, you just, it's, it's intimidating and it's nerve wracking, but like, you know, you just gotta, 
look at yourself in the mirror before and amp yourself up and, you know, stand in your superhero pose for 30 seconds. And you just got to get in that mindset that this is for your kid and your kid deserves what every other kid has. Absolutely. And that, you know, isn't had to be fight for. Yeah, absolutely. When you found or after you went into that meeting, did you find that you went in, you said your piece and they were pretty comfortable with saying like, absolutely, that's what we can do for you. Or was there a pushback? No, no, no. Um, I feel like since, you know, in every IEP meeting I've ever had Mm -hmm. or transition meeting, there's pushback. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I don't, you know, based on my experience, you know, they want to do as little as they can to, you know, get what they think the kid needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I I had to do a lot of follow through. You have to make sure that when they say they're going to do this, that they're going to do it. It's not just you walk out of that meeting and it's done. You have to make sure that, oh, they said that they're going to basic thing that they said they were going to get Zamaya a swing to put outside. So she, she loves to swing so that she could have access to the swing. I had to make sure that that process was still happening. Mm-hmm. And that was just the basic thing of getting her a piece of equipment on a playground. Right. So, you know, that wasn't even like the intense parts. And, um, you know, if you have questions, ask those questions, you know, if you don't feel like something's right or something isn't sitting with you, you gotta, be that bug. You like get the, I have the label. I know I do. No one says I, that they say I don't, but I know I do. I'm that parent, you know, because I make sure that what they said is actually happening. And I've realized that I wasn't told the hundred percent truth or, you know, they kind of try to skim away with something. And, mm-hmm. and now, you know, it's like, okay, well now I know that this is, more of a one-sided thing. Sure. Yeah, that's frustrating. I think, again, coming from the school end of things, seeing how we have these meetings, we have this great conversation, we write a plan. Of course, it gets sent home, but then from then on, it's, you know, there's really not as much conversation back and forth about the plan and how it's being followed. Right. So I think you're right. It is so important to be the advocate, to follow up, to make sure the plan's being followed. Um, I know when we do progress reports and have parent-teacher conferences, we'll often go over um, different plans and so forth. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, families are busy and are not always able to make that. So if you're not able right. to make a time that's, you know, scheduled, then ask for another time. I know that right. teachers would be more willing to meet outside of their scheduled parent-teacher conference time to mm-hmm. be able to have that um, interaction. And, and it's, and like I said, it's the teach, you know, all my, my immediate connections, like the teachers and the ed techs, that's never never been my issue. Mm-hmm. They've all been very passionate in what they do and how they see their kids. And even working in the um, in my behavioral classroom now, I see the passion that all of our ed techs have and our, you know, our lead teacher has. It's, it's when it has to, you're fighting the administration, like even they're doing it. Like right. we're like, okay, we need this, we need this, we need this. And this is how we're going to better our kids. But there's always pushback. And, you know, it's just as frustrating, you know, and 
it, on both ends on parents side, you have some parents who are, you know, there a hundred percent respond or whatever. And then you have some parents who are just like, do what you need to do. Like, you know, and that's just how it's going to take. And, you know, you just have to make sure the admin administration is, you know, it's them that you have to make sure that you're on top of them. Right. Yep. I think, um, one thought that I always have going into meetings is, you know, I really hope that families coming into those same meetings aren't thinking like, okay, we're going in like for a fight. Like my goal as the teacher is to hopefully have things at least communicated, just Mm -hmm. at least have everyone have an idea of like things that we want to talk about before going into a meeting. Cause I've heard so many horror stories of families again, we're going in for this fight. Like it's going to be like a huge thing, but I think there are so many steps that could be taken ahead of time to try to limit that level of stress of going into the meeting. And I think communication is just so key. Yes. Um, Yes. And so communication is key. And then having the, you know, even if it's with the teacher itself, so then they have your back going into the meeting too. They agree that this needs to be done. So when you present it, you're not only presenting it, but you have the teacher or the ed tech or somebody else there saying, yeah, we agree with that. That needs to be done. I feel like if you are all in a collaboration of what needs to be done and what needs to happen in this meeting, you're not feeling like you're going into a solo battle alone. You have a team behind you and they're there to make sure that your daughter gets or your child gets the best um, as well. Yep. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say that there haven't been stressful meetings because there always will be, there's always going to be, you know, I disagree with someone else on the team or even the parent. But again, I think it's just about communication. And as long as you are both explaining why you think something should happen and you work it out and everyone is happy Mm -hmm. with the decision, then you can continue on as a solid team and work towards the the student's goals. And that's the thing is that you all need to remember you need to be a team. And, you know, it. it is a little hard sometimes when there are some players who don't want to be part of said team. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel that there's already judgment as you walk in the door. Uh, so that's a little hard. Like I have in one meeting, I have literally like turned my body and blocked everybody who I wasn't directly talking to and literally looked at the two people I needed to talk to and said, you're the problem. Mm-hmm. You're the reason this is, you are not getting it. You're not sitting in my shoes for one minute. And I have expressed to them that, you know, I don't get to be mom very often and I deserve to be mom. And their ignorance toward the situation that the parents are in is, 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 is a deafening sound. And it makes, you know, all we want as parents, and I'm sure I speak for a ton of other parents, is that we, our kids are kids. And what we want is what, you know, little Johnny walks into with absolutely no IEP or special needs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's at the end of the day, we just want our kids seen as kids. And that's what we're fighting for. Absolutely. I find that there's always been, um, a disconnect when it comes to the general ed setting 
and special mm-hmm. ed setting, especially when it comes to, um, you know, like a functional life skills classroom right. or setup. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is hard because again, mm-hmm. gen ed, you get their certification and there's really not a lot of talk about special education, um, right. and severe disability. So we'll talk about, um, you know, just writing support, math support, general support like that. But when it comes to, you know, this level of disability, it's, you know, it's not really talked about. Have you found yeah. that that's been the case going into school? Do you find that your mainstream teacher, gen ed teacher is, you know, communicating with you regularly or is it? I made it very clear in my transition meeting that I expected Zamaya to be um, in an inclusive classroom um, because I feel that that's more of a motivator for her being around typical I hate that word, but typical kids. Um, And, you know, she gets to see these kids and what they're doing. And she's like, oh, that's what I want to do. That's where I want to be. And um, the, her kindergarten teacher um, was, had multiple students on varying levels of needs in her classroom. And, you know, she, she was right there for the fight. Um, You know, it, it was, she's, was amazing. And I feel like, you know, I got to communicate not only with Zamaya's one-on-one ed tech, but her, um, and that is key. I feel like, cause like I said, you want that team behind you and you want, you know, at least someone to be, yeah, you're right. We need to do this. Yep. I totally agree with you. So it's not like you're the only one going into it. And, uh, you know, I know everyone gets a gen ed teacher and then they have your special ed teacher. Um, so there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, de- depending on, you know, the level of disabilities. Um, and Zamaya is considered, you know, severely disabled. Um, she's the only kid, they hadn't, she's the only kid in her school in a wheelchair and they hadn't had a kid in a wheelchair in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, she's also a motivator for those kids. Like she has a little entourage. I mean, not so much more now that COVID's taken place, but, you know, I would see, you know, whenever she was outside, there's this group of kids that just swarm her. So, you know, it's, it's an education piece for both sides. Like, you know, we all have to coexist and we all have to, you know, so let's teach our kids how to be compassionate and let's teach our kids that these kids are kids, you know, let's not put them in a room and being like, see, they got to go there. Right. You know, they deserve to be just a part of everything. Absolutely. Yeah. I found, um, that my students in functional life skills settings would go into mainstream and they really would have a good group of kids who would run up to them Mm -hmm. and say, hello, like give them a high five, want to give them hugs. Um, again, unfortunately not as much now. now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's always been, you know, an ongoing struggle, you know, it it has Mm -hmm. been a struggle to really have a, get them into the setting where they can be accepted. And you're right. It is an educational opportunity for both, you know, groups of students. Um, Right. And especially if you have large districts who only have their functional life skills in one elementary school, one middle school, one high school, then the students in those other schools have zero access to students with Mm -hmm. severe disabilities. So then they're going to grow up and not have any exposure 
mm-hmm. and really have that ignorance of how they can interact with someone with disabilities, which is really right. I think that's an ongoing, you know, systematic <laughs> issue that oh, yeah. oh, uh, yes. I'll certainly continue to get more into, but you know, if students were able to have uh, more time with their mainstream peers, then I think that would make a huge yeah. difference for society. Oh, yeah. Um, so when you, one more question on your transition going into mm-hmm. the public schools, um, yes. did the public school take on Zamaya, no questions asked, or was there any sort of discussion of whether she should remain at the specialized school that she was coming from? Uh, I don't think there was, um, really any conversation, but I think I made that, uh, pretty clear that that wasn't an option. Um, she's coming, so get ready. Um, you, you need to, you know, some, I feel, you know, even when I was working in this, you know, specialized preschool, I think parents sometimes get really scared about their kids going into mainstream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've seen some parents keep their kid in a specialized school and I'm like, no, they need to be in mainstream. Like yes. they would, they would just flourish in mainstream. Um, but you know, I don't, you have to have that right preschool teacher to be like, have your back on that situation and be like, yeah, you're, you know, she, they would do great. And, you know, when that, well, that's what I had. I had her preschool teacher and, you know, I made it very clear. Like we said, communication, you just got to put it out there and then you got to have someone to have your back to, you don't have to do it all alone. Um, it does feel like it sometimes, but you don't have to you just even, you know, that one teacher or, you know, the therapist or your nurse or somebody that, you know, agrees with you. And it's like, yeah, okay. You know, if that's what you want, then we'll do it. And even if they didn't agree with me, they'd still, it was what I wanted. So, you know, we'll, we'll support you in whatever you want. Um, but, uh, the school didn't really have an option to push back because I made it very clear that she was coming. So um, they needed to be ready. Yeah. That's great. I had, um, an experience when we worked together and I was mm-hmm. on the preschool end of a transition meeting and I um, made it very clear to the next team that the students should be mainstreamed as much as possible um, because they wanted to put this student in a life skills setting. And I yeah. didn't feel like that was appropriate. After the fact, my director told me that I, I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't my place. But I actually absolutely felt like it was my place if they were trying to put the student in a placement that wasn't going to be appropriate for him. As parents, that's what we appreciate is that, you know, even though someone didn't want you to give that opinion or that wasn't your place for us, that is, that's huge. Like, cause that, that shows, you know, that makes us feel that you're literally on our team. And, and I think that's ridiculous that, you know, that it was said not to say that because if that's your opinion, that's your opinion and your opinion should be heard. And then that might make the parent who's like kind of wavering on which way they should be going. Okay. Well, if they think that, and they work with my child on a daily basis, then let's, let's sit back and reevaluate the situation. And, you know, let's, let's go or that you might've made that parent be like, okay, my kid can do it. Let's do it. You know, instead of, you know, I feel like sometimes they just want to hold us like that. There's no expectations of 
better. Like, you know, it is what it is. Deal with it. Right. But if I would have gone based off just expectations, she wouldn't be here. Like, you know, like if I went off what everyone told me, Mm -hmm. you know, their opinions and, you know, whatever she wouldn't, you know, I, my, my life would be very different right now. And she's, she's gone above and beyond everybody's expectations. And you need to give that child the chance to go above and beyond. Just because there's a diagnosis doesn't mean anything to me. Right. Right. Yeah. I find that that's often the case is, you know, starting with students, it's always a report of, oh, you know, they didn't think they could ever walk or talk. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I have the student doing second grade math problems in a small group setting. So yeah, they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you'll get as parents. And that's the thing. It was like with parents, especially because we always get the worst of the worst. And then, you know, we don't always get the the good comments home and the great things we're told from day one, all the negative, like this is, you know, and that I think needs to change. Like we already know, we know it. Absolutely. We don't need to be reminded every day mm-hmm. of the bad and, you know, just that, that positive. And I've taken that even into my own teaching. Like when I have to do home notes mm-hmm. and it, it might've been a horrid day, but I'm still going to put in some positive because I know you know that there are hard days and I know you know exactly what I go through on these hard days, but at the, but I want to give you light too. Like there's, right. yeah, we might've done this, but even this little, we did great on this. And that's what we like as parents is that, you know, we get the humdrum and the bad stuff all the time. Give us the, she walked three steps today in her gate right. trainer by herself. Even if the rest of the day was horrible and she was a sassy little thing the rest of the day, that that's that one little thing can just change a day. Yeah. Yeah, I've had um, reports from parents just, you know, again, saying, can you please ask so-and-so to put in like a little bit of positive um, report in their day? Because it is easy just to say like, okay, you know, they hit. Billy, they yeah. bolted down the hallway. They did this. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, say we're working on drooling, like she, you know, the student didn't have her fingers in her mouth all day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's huge. Yeah. Or she only, right. you know, drooled a little bit in the afternoon, just looking for those. Sometimes it's just a little milestone, but I think it's we just right. need to be aware of those. And us as parents of kids who have, you know, special needs. It is those little milestones mm-hmm. that we celebrate. Like I, you know, Zamaya sat up for one time for 20 seconds and it was and when she was an infant and it was like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, any other parent would be like, okay, like, right. great. But it was huge. Like she was never supposed to do that. So right. her just doing that for the 20 seconds, it was like, you know, we celebrate the teeniest, mm-hmm. tiniest things. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's the small things for us that make us excited and happy and give us, you know, that little light at the end of what can be a very dark tunnel sometimes. Right. Yep. I do find, um, again, just being the teacher, I often will have a little bit more background on students, especially if I have kind of ed techs who are rotating in mm-hmm. and out. Um, mm-hmm. But there's been times where 
you know, someone will come to me and say like, we've been working on this skill for months and I'm not seeing any change. And I just have to give that reminder. Like, let's think of three years ago. This is where we're at. And this is where we are now. That's a huge jump from where we are. So Mm -hmm. we just need to just take a step back and look at those, those milestones. Um, Right. Look at, look at, yeah, that stuff you hit the bigger picture, like, you know, and that, and sometimes parents need to be reminded that too, because, uh, you know, we're so like, it's just that, you know, they have to do this and they have to do that and they have to do that. And I feel like sometimes even in our world of trying to be a support for other special need parents, it kind of sometimes becomes a competition and you're just yeah. like, no, yeah. like we're going to, we need to celebrate. We don't need to be like, oh, so Tommy walked, but I've been working three years to get, you know, Bobby to walk and it hasn't happened. So I'm going to be mad and no, we need to all come together. And you know, it's, it, it's hard, but it, it's just something that, you know, we do. Yeah. yeah. Work together, communicate. Yep. And it's got to be a team and you, you have to pick, sometimes you have to be picky on your team. And as a parent, if you don't like something, don't worry about hurting somebody's feelings. Say what you want to say, do what you want to do. This is your child at the end of the day. These people are here to help support your child. And if you don't feel like they're supporting your child or they're going to do what's best for your child, they don't have to be a part of your team. It's your right to say no. Right. Like you're not on the same path. Like don't worry about hurting people's feelings. Cause if you worry about hurting people's feelings as a parent, you're it's, you're going to have a lot of sleepless nights. Right. Well, that's a great piece of advice um, for parents. And I guess we can move right into uh, my next question, which would be, unless you have any more advice for parents, but I would love <laughs> one piece of advice for parents. And that could be it. Cause that was wonderful, but also Thank one you. piece of advice that you would say to all school staff, mm-hmm. um, if you could, what would that be? I think I've said it kind of like as a broken record already. Um, at the end of the day, these are our kids. I don't see, I don't see Zamaya any differently than any other parent sees their child. I want what's best for her. I want wherever she's going to go, I want to help her get there. So take away the diagnosis for a second. Take away the labels for a second and look at the kid. Look at her name. That's Amaya Rose. She's seven years old. She loves makeup. She loves, you know, she's a diva. She's sassy. Look at that because... I feel like a lot of the times the diagnosis is saying first. (laughs) And, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me, your kids are really scary on paper. Yeah, I know she is. Mm -hmm. She's very intimidating on paper. But when you meet her and when you come to know her, it's totally the same. It's not even the same person of what you were expecting. So just take all that away and get to know the kid first, give her that, give them that chance to show you who they are before saying, okay, well they have autism. So if they have autism, this, this, and this are going to happen, right? No, it's not just because they have a diagnosis. Nobody's the same in that diagnosis. So just see the child first before 
you see the diagnosis. And I would give that advice to everybody, not even just school staff, because, you know, everybody sees the diagnosis before they see the kid. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I think that's great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that wraps up any, all of my questions. Yeah. Um, is Zamaya there? Is she with you? Yeah. I think I hear her yeah. watching some cartoons or something. Can we say hi? Yeah, she's, she's watching Sesame. Hold on one second. If she wants to. We don't have to interrupt her if she doesn't want to. Oh, no. Hey, Zamaya. You say hi, Mercedes. How are you? How are you feeling? Very good. I hope a little yeah, bit. Yeah, get in there. Hi, I'm Amy Haig, the host of the Building Blocks podcast, which talks about and offers support to individuals with disabilities, their families, schools, and the communities they live in. Guests will include parents, teachers, related service providers, and members in the community who offer inclusive services for individuals of all abilities and more. We'll discuss how this team can work together to provide optimal support. Questions will be answered weekly at the end of each show, which will be posted every other Tuesday starting in February 2021. Stay tuned for the first episode to drop, and please start sending in questions to mebuildingblocks at gmail.com or by sending a DM at mebuildingblocks. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any updates.